Hey Rebels, welcome to another edition of Rebel Parenting. I'm your host, Ryan Dobson, joined by my wife, Laura, and we have a program for you today. I gotta be honest, this is a hard one. It's a hard one. I During the broadcast, I said, I love your book. Well, I don't really love it, but I appreciate it. This is the deal. We have Dave Carter on the broadcast today to talk about his book, Anatomy of an Affair. Yep, we're going to get awkward today. Anatomy of an Affair. And I got to tell you, if you want to safeguard your marriage against an affair, if you want to build an armament, if you want to have just armor all around, just barricade after barricade of your marriage, this book will get it done. I... We poured ourselves into this book and it has helped us so much. When couples come to us and they're struggling, we jump straight back into this book. So you are going to, I don't know if you'll enjoy it or not, but this is a great program. That's what I can say. It's definitely a great program and I am so excited. It's 2018, y'all. Isn't it great? 2018 is here. Second broadcast of 2018. I am so excited for you to hear Dave Carter. We're going to have him back on because he's got a book. Here's the truth. I just, I have to say this. Anatomy of an Affair, if you want to safeguard your marriage against an affair, definitely, definitely get this book. If you have had that happen in your marriage, if you have cheated on your spouse, your spouse has cheated on you, Dave has got a book and a workbook to help you overcome that, and it's called Torn Asunder, Recovering from an Extramarital Affair. It's called Torn Asunder. Uh, We did not talk about that book on this broadcast. We will have him back on, but this one is going to be a good one, I promise. Also, Rebel Live every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 8 Pacific, 11 Eastern, facebook.com slash Dobson. That's Rebel Live. So much stuff come out of the Bible. I am reading uh, the Bible chronologically this year, and I am right in the middle of Job, and uh, I am just, my brain is exploding. I'm reading that. I'm reading the Daily Stoic. I am reading... Um, Oh, Discipline Equals Freedom by Jocko Willink and How Should We Then Live by Francis Schaeffer. And if you want to hear about what I'm learning and what's going on and how I'm applying it to life and marriage and parenting, that is on Rebel Live every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, facebook.com slash J Ryan Dobson. Without any further ado, let's jump in with Dave Carter on today's edition of Rebel Parenting. Dave, thank you so much for coming on the broadcast with us. Uh, This is a subject a lot of people don't want to talk about. In fact, Laura, you were just at a friend's kind of neighborhood gathering. Yeah, we were all hanging out and some of the moms started talking. And one of the biggest fears the mom have, um, it was consistent, was that their husband was going to cheat on them. Mm -hmm. That was something that they were like, I could not make it if that happened. Yeah, Dave, I was surprised because I know a lot of those husbands, uh, we've been to that town before, and that wouldn't have been, I would never have thought that would be a big fear, but that's a huge fear. Are you finding that? Is that why you wrote this book? Because we're seeing it happen more than we would expect. Yeah, well, that is part of the fear, kind of a universal fear, because it's so, it is so prevalent. It's in the media, it's mm, among yeah. your friends and neighbors, it's in your church. It's within your pastoral staff. That's the thing that kind of blows people away. I mean, if, if these guys yeah. can't resist this temptation, then what chance do I have? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you've got to remember, too, that the whole field of adultery recovery is less than 25 years old. 25 years ago, if there was an affair in your marriage, you did one, two things. You divorced or you shoved it under the rug and moved on because you had kids or whatever the reason was. But wow. yeah. we can treat this. We can treat this now. 
And it doesn't, that's the thing I think we talk about as much as we can on Rebel Parenting is an affair doesn't mean you have to get divorced. And I think in today's culture, I think in a lot of church culture, it's kind of expected. And if you don't, especially for women, if you don't, then you're not standing up for yourself, then you're not being an individual, then you're not a real woman. If you don't have, if you don't get divorced after an affair, and we don't believe that needs to happen or it has to happen. Well, I think it's going to require forgiveness, and it's very difficult mm. many times for the wife and for the husband uh, to forgive uh, in this situation, because betrayal is the most painful trauma known to man. Mm. And you go in with those vows and rings and ceremony in front of friends and family, and it's like, if this doesn't keep someone away from this, what in the world is going to help? Yeah. Mm. So can we back up a little bit, Dave? Like, say the family that's like, I am afraid of this. I don't want it to happen. <laughs> Are there any, like, barriers they could set up to protect them from going down that route? Well, that's the whole reason why I wrote this book. Mm-hmm. Perfect. You know, before, for years, decades, centuries even, we had rings and vows and then hedges and boundaries. But those are all pretty passive restraints. And this culture is very different. So one of the things in anatomy that's brand new is risk factors. What are the risk factors you bring to the table mm. that might make you more vulnerable? Secondly, mm-hmm. are, are the seasons. We're much more adept at identifying high-stress periods. Yes. There's been research in that. And last of all, our culture is growing. It's what we call seductive personalities, the narcissistic uh, personality more prevalent among men and the borderline personality more prevalent among women. Sure, sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm. And you know what I like? I like that you call it a risk factor because when I go to my doctor, he talks about risk factors for heart attack, for cancer, for stroke, mm. for mm-hmm. Alzheimer's, things like that. If you've, you know, my, my background is skateboarding, is uh, fighting. And so head trauma, they would say, I have risk factors for Alzheimer's or dementia if I get too many concussions. And you're saying people can have risk factors for an affair that they bring into their marriages. What are some of those things? What things can we look for to say, if I have those risk factors, I need to lessen them. I need to work on those things. Well, you need to protect yourself from them. That's right. And and they're basically uh, both personal within you, what you bring to the table. Secondly, in your family of origin, some of those deficits. Mm -hmm. Third, in your life experiences that you're going through right at this present time. There's certainly some of those involved. And last of all, it's how you hang out and with who you hang out that uh, can get yourself into trouble. And you don't even realize it because we all need affirmation and recognition and admiration. Mm. And so those kinds of people who give you this kind of stuff, you know, you can take you down. I'll be glad to go through some of the individual ones if you'd like to do that. Oh, yeah, let's do it. I'd love it. Okay. Well, let's talk about the family history, first of all. Um, If you grew up in a single-parent family, you are more likely to act out in adulthood, uh, sexually. Uh, just think about it. it. makes all the sense in the world. If you've been abandoned by a dad, there's an attachment injury. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you, you need some reassurance. You didn't get some of that mentoring. You didn't have that admiration that comes from the head of the household about what you're doing. Mm. Okay. You, you are a gal, a little girl growing up in a family. You don't know anything about men. But you know there's this hole in your heart because you never had a daddy that was close to you. Mm. He left you and started another family. So there's that vulnerability. Then we have uh, moms, you know, the single mom who's putting food on the table and too tired and worn out to sit and cuddle and 
sit with you and play games with you and do the mom things. Mm. So you're always looking for some attachment or some kind of missing piece in your story. And then you get those personal factors like attention deficit disorder or, or some other kind of uh, uh, difficulty with processing. Mm. Those kids have difficult childhoods. People are always scolding them. Teachers are after them. Friends don't like them. Uh, besides that, you throw in the poor impulse control that they grow up with. Uh, they're a time bomb waiting to happen. Mm. You can discount this, but it's, it is a high-risk factor. It has shown up in research. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's real. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and same with sexual molestation, mm. Uh, mm. especially among women, but also among guys. It's underreported. Yeah. And yeah. as a result, you just never forget some of those experiences, mm-hmm. the shame that goes along with it, the uh, needs you have. And that little guy sometimes, we often say, if you get involved in massage parlors, you're looking for the mother's touch you never had. Yeah. So <laughs> it's really part of sure. it. So then there's times and seasons. Now, one of the most shocking ones. Dave, can I stop you just for a second? Yeah. If someone uh-huh. out there, I'm sure we've got people listening, they're like, hey, I come from a single parent. I'm ADD. Like, I'm ADD, so I've got a risk factor in that. But yeah. um, you say, I've got some risk factors, and I want to get married. I don't want to bring this into my marriage, or I want to lessen it. What are the things we can do? What are the steps we can take? Do you recommend counseling? You know, what are the things we can do if we've got some of these risk factors in our own personal life, you know, from our history, family of origin that we want to deal with? Well, the first thing you do is you don't amputate it because mm. when you become a Christian, you don't leave it all in the behind, all <laughs> in the past. It has current episodes and current ex- uh, influences in your life. And just acknowledging that will be hugely helpful. And, and as a result, what, you, what brokenness or injury uh, you bring to the table. So mm. they're not positive factors. They're just contributing factors. So understand that would be very helpful to you. Mm. And... You might need to get some counseling working through some of this. How has this impacted you? What kind of grief work do you maybe need to work through? Because you never had a daddy mm-hmm. uh, or a, a mom that could really be emotionally involved with you. So uh, counseling can be immensely helpful to people who are struggling with it. And so can a support group where you can be open and honest and, and vulnerable with each other in that group. So um, I'm going to jump to the other side. I've just had um, a mom come and confess, husband had an affair, and she wants to repair. What are some of the repair attempts after the affairs have already occurred? Well, it, this couple, whether they stay together or not, they're going to co-parent if they have children. Yes, they will. So they need to work through the basic stuff. Whether It's not for the goal of saving the marriage, although I love that, and it's many times very helpful, but they're working through the brokenness between the two of them. So to the degree that that wife can forgive, to that degree she can start rebuilding respect. Mm -hmm. And to the degree she rebuilds respect, to that degree she can start rebuilding trust. And to the degree she rebuilds trust, she can rebuild love, if that's what they both choose to do. So Mm -hmm. it goes forgiveness, respect, trust, and love. And that all fits within the paradigm of Christianity. That's what God does, is redemption, baby. (laughs) Oh, perfect. Can you do that again? Forgiveness, respect, trust, Trust love. and love. You don't have to wait till this is finished. Notice I said it's to the degree. Yes, I heard that. I don't expect women to forgive quickly or immediately or sweep it away. It won't work. You have to work your way through forgiveness. To the degree that they're willing. (laughs) Yeah, well, exactly. So, so, uh, Laura, you're a mom. Uh, Do you have children? Yes, I do. 
Okay, what, what, what time of day was your first child born? What, 3.15. In the morning? No, in the afternoon. In the afternoon, okay. Yes. At that time, you became a mom. You'd never been a mom. You had no idea what being a mom was really like. You That's had your true. ideas, expectations, but you were a mom. Yep. So at that point, you were declared a mom. And then you spent the next 20 years trying to raise these kids. Yeah. And sometimes you did great, and sometimes you weren't so hot, okay? But yep. that's what forgiveness is like. Mm. You declare you're going to forgive this item, and then for the next 20 years, you, you process it, it on a daily mm. basis. Oh, I love that. I love your attitude about being connected to willingness and then walking it out. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Mm. My goodness. You know, and it's so important that we talk about it because it does happen, and it doesn't have to be a death sentence to your marriage. In fact, here at Rebel Parenting, we got a couple of emails and we got a couple of calls from kids that were saying, don't let my parents get divorced. Don't let this. We've seen what happens in other families. We don't want it in our own family. That's why we do what we do. And we, I mean, I don't love this book, but my goodness, I appreciate this book. Mm. I really appreciate this book. Want to hear a great story? Yes. Yeah. Okay, 27 years ago, I worked with a good Christian man who got caught up with the, uh, his secretary at work. And I helped him recover from that. And it was difficult. It took the wife seven years mm. to forgive her husband for this before she finally forgave the last item. Mm. But three years ago, in my premarital class, this little gal just engaged to her boyfriend, fiance, came up to me and said, my dad told me I had to introduce myself to you. My name is such and such. And 27 years ago, you helped my parents save their marriage. And as a result, I've grown up in a two-parent family that talks openly about protecting, saving, guiding, guarding your marriage. Amen. Wow. (laughs) Oh, I love that. That's amazing. That would make you weep. Yes. That's right. It does. Yeah. Mm. And it lets you continue. You know, when when you feel like, oh, do I really say this? Am I really going to be bold? Am I really going to talk about these things? And you meet those kids and you go, I have to do it. I've got to do it. That's why we... That's why we started this ministry, Dave. We started this ministry. We were so tired of people saying, well, you can't talk about that. It's like, well, oh. we have to. If you don't, no one will. Yeah. That's what's happening to kids. They're having to relearn everything about marriage protection in every generation because their parents don't talk about it. Mm. So they have every generation starts over, <laughs> except for this book. That's right. If you believe what this stuff says, You'll start talking about it now. I mean, these kids see it in movies, on their six uh, TVs, mm-hmm, in their mm-hmm. phones, among their friends. <laughs> what do you mean you're not going to talk about it? You're crazy. Yeah, yeah we're in definitely. a battle. Dave, talk about the close calls. What are the close calls that either we can look back and say, woo, that's crazy. I got to avoid that in the future, or just things that we can avoid. What are those close calls? Well, and how do we pay attention well, to those close calls? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, a close call is any kind of contact with someone that alters your mood. That's where it starts. It's really? mood altering. Yes. So it's you like begin to look forward to seeing this person. Yeah. Uh, you begin to uh, get excited about a text that they might send you. Your day brightens when you get an email from them. Uh, so you're caught up in a mood altering experience. Very minor. Nothing significant. It's nothing sexual, but it's mood altering. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. if you continue to cultivate that and engage in that process, you'll move to a second stage. And that's where your conversation will move from 
what's professional external to you, outside of you, to what's personal and internal inside of you. Mm, At that point in time, you will begin to feel after a while that this person understands you better than your spouse. At that point, you have got to run, baby, run, (laughs) or you'll create a secret stash where this is something you can go back to knowing you're going to receive a great benefit every time you're with them. It's going to change your mood, brighten your day, lift your depression, calm your anxiety, and and just make life more pleasant. Mm -hmm. So soon as you're in a relationship with someone like that, you need to run. Oh, you need to run before it gets to stage three. Yeah. 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 Because at that time, you're hiding it, and you're denying it, and you're saying things like, we're just friends. Yeah. We're just friends. We've never done anything wrong. Uh, You know, aren't I allowed to have a friend? Yeah. Not one that you're feeding while you're starving your mate. No. Mm, Mm. Amen. You know, Dave, I hear, uh, I've not worked in an office in a while, but I had a friend and he had someone he referred to as his office wife. And I started hearing that office spouse terminology from people and they it, it was a kind of a joke thing like oh that person had to take care of them when they were at the office you know it was their office spouse kind of thing and I just thought that's a scary thing to even talk about because it became uh f- kind of flippant they just talked you know like oh that's my office wife kind of thing well that's in the literature that terminology is used in research office wife office spouse so and it's true you, this person is with you more than your spouse is mm-hmm. You're always dressed up, looking your best. You smell your best. Uh, You have a shared interest or passion that that you're very good at, which you might not always share with Mm. your wife. Maybe you don't have the time or the money to do that together like you'd like to. So there's all kinds of benefits. You work late. Your company might send you on trips together. Uh, You check into different rooms in the hotel. You're given expense accounts. You might go to entertainment venues with clients together. That has all the components of a date. Yeah. All of them. Yep. All, All of them. them. Mm-hmm. So what do people do? What do you do if well, that's part of your job? Do you just say, I can't do that? That's, that's not going to be a part of my pull, job? Pull a Mike Pence? Well, sometimes you might actually have to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes there's, uh, you know, there's mutual interest or there's uh, maybe mutual changes going on, both in you and in this other person. So uh, to guard your marriage, it has to become first. In fact, we say that. Mm-hmm. I just met a couple yesterday. I said, it's up to you to create the environment for your husband to recover. Mm. If that means a job change, it means a job change. Yep. You might have to sell your car if this person sat in the car. If you had sex in your marriage bed, you know what? You might have to leave your home if you had that person in your home. For sure. Yeah, yeah Thank definitely. You've got to start over, baby. Yep. I mean, this is the bottom line. Time to be an adult. You know what? I really want to point this out. I've, I've been, a, a friend of ours went through a divorce, uh, had a spouse that was unrepentant, wouldn't stop cheating, didn't want to be married, had to leave. And I said, hey, have you sold your bedroom furniture? And she said, what are you talking about? I said, you cheated in your house, right? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, you got to get rid of that stuff. It's interesting to say, hey, if there's someone's had an affair, get rid of that stuff. You can both do that or move. Whatever it is, it's more important to save the marriage than the house, the couch, the bed, the chair, whatever it is, the job, the car. The marriage is most important. Mm. It is. But here's the good news, okay? You can take a couple like that, not, not initially, but after some work has been done on forgiveness and res- restoration and respect, and you can say to them, the husband and wife, I want each of you to make a list of eight great experiences in your relationship. Go clear back to dating times. Your kids can't be involved, and another couple cannot be involved. 
and you cannot include your wedding day, okay, or the birth of your children, just the two of you. Now, most couples that have decent marriages will come up between four and five that match. So let's say you have four. She gets number five, he gets number six, she gets number seven, you get number eight. You now have your eight greatest experiences. In Orange County, two years ago, the average cost of a divorce was $35,000. So divide eight into 35000 and I say to these couples, you could spend $4,500 on each one of these eight great experiences, and you would still get off cheaper than if you went and got divorced. So enjoy yourself. That's a good Have idea. Fun. That is a good idea. Go back to what you do best. You got in trouble because you stopped doing what you do best. I think Dave Ramsey would like that one. Me too. Oh. <laughs> you know, and, you know, Dave, you're in Orange County. We come from Orange County. I'm from San Clemente. Laura's from Newport Beach. The divorce rate in Orange County is 70%. Seven out of 10 yeah. marriages in Orange County end in divorce. That's a huge statistic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, these weren't really marriages like you and I would think of. A lot sure. of them are not like you and I would think yeah. of. And, uh, oh. But I see a lot of them. I see people who've been married three, four, five times. I actually had one of my couples who had been married eight times. She had hunting, searching, desperate mm. for somebody to fix her pain. Well, mm. there's a rule in therapy. If the injury happens before the relationship, you have to fix it yourself. Oh, I love that. Because a person isn't going to calm that. Can you say that again, please? Yeah, if the injury happens before the relationship, then it's your responsibility to work on your pain because another person cannot fix your injury. They weren't in mm -hmm. your life when it happened, and they can't go back there and take care of it. Amen. But lots of us look for people to heal our hurts, yeah. and it won't happen. Totally. Definitely. Love definitely. It. You know, you talk in the book about certain types of attachment patterns to look for in others. Can you go through some of those? Yeah. Well, uh, there are two main person seductive personalities. Uh, like I said earlier, the narcissistic personality among men, the borderline personality among women. Mm. And these are people who, uh, in childhood, for all kinds of reasons, were not able to really attach security. The attachment theory is a kind of a big umbrella over people's success in being able to attach uh, later in life. A lot of research since the 60s about if you don't attach well in childhood, you'll have a tough time in adulthood. Mm -hmm. You won't feel secure in your relationship. So what happens with attachment injuries, you can only get so close to someone before you get triggered, and you become afraid they're going to leave you. And as the relationship deepens, you can't lean into it to go beyond a certain level. And so you'll get stuck at that point, and both parties in the relationship will become unhappy with the outcome. Some people will settle for less because it's all they have, but lots of other people will leave a relationship mm. before they are left yep. because it's always more painful to be abandoned again than it is to leave of your own free will and choice. And these people have wakes, I mean, 20, 30 years of broken friendships and relationships behind them that they've never gone back and repaired mm. and don't want to. They just abandon them, cut them off. Yeah. And go on to the next person. I totally know people like that. Yeah. Hmm. And then what well, about the uh, sun-moon syndrome? Or the moon-earth syndrome, sorry, the moon-earth yeah, syndrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the whole idea is there's more to your spouse than you even begin to know. And sometimes when you go through a crisis like betrayal, 
this is the best time to learn about your spouse. Mm. This is the best time to see the other side of the moon, so to speak, the dark side that nobody's ever been on, the, the dark side they haven't shared with anyone. So I tell couples, and uh, we do this in the process of recovery, if you're going to see me every week, you're going to spend an hour, each one of you, talking to your spouse in three 20-minute segments, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, fr- uh, Saturday, about things I'm going to ask you to talk about. Mm. And we're going to follow a theme. The first is biographical. The second is family of origin. The third is the marital style you've developed. The fourth, we're going to get ready for forgiveness. We just work through this. And I say, hey, there's nothing left to save. There's been sexual betrayal in this yep. room. There's not mm-hmm. one thing left to save. Yep. So be forthright, straightforward, lay it out there on the table. Things you've always wanted to say, maybe couldn't, didn't know, suddenly you're aware of, lay them out there. Mm-hmm. And we'll find out if there's enough left to save. That's what we're working on. Wow, that's powerful. Dave, before we go, um, I want to talk about things we can do um, in our marriages. And one of them you talk a lot about is giving and receiving forgiveness, about the importance of giving forgiveness, but also receiving forgiveness, not having that unforgiving spirit. Talk about forgiveness, and then I want to go into recreating exciting moments as a way to build your marital relationship. Sure. Well, forgiveness is a learned experience. Uh, And it comes from four sources. It comes from your childhood experiences with forgiveness. And most parents try to teach some form of forgiveness. I mean, Disney believes in forgiveness. Let it go. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody. I've never met anybody that didn't believe in forgiveness. Yep. But sometimes parents don't practice what they try to teach your children. So the second influence in developing an attitude of forgiveness is what you saw your parents practice. The third component, third ingredient, is what you've learned from religious teachings. And the fourth ingredient is what you've been able to practice as an adult in the area of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. So my couples spend 20 minutes, she one day, he the next, talking about what forgiveness means to them coming from those four resources. Mm -hmm. What they've seen modeled, what they've learned to practice, how they've learned to behave, the the whole bit because that's going to help them realize what they are going to get from their spouse and what they're going to give to their spouse. Very powerful. Very, very powerful. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, the next thing about forgiveness, and if if couples get stuck in recovery, it's almost always due to incomplete forgiveness. Mm. So we start with a full disclosure letter. You want to hear hear how this is done? Yeah. (laughs) Well... People really wince when I say this. So let's just say the wife had an affair, and that's becoming more frequent all the time. She's going to make a list of all the things she wants forgiveness for. And we're going to, I'm going to say to her, let's call her Carol. Carol, when you're done with this, I want you totally done with this. I don't want you dragging this forward for the next 40, 50 years of your life, feeling guilty, ashamed, you know, everything else. So you're going to make a list of every single thing you want forgiveness for. In first-time affairs, we say there's usually 50 items. Okay. Wow. So this involves what it did to your kids, your spouse, yourself, your reputation, threat of disease, threat to the marriage, behaviors, things you said, pro- uh, promises you might have, behaviors you mm-hmm. did, the whole bit. Just make a list. It'll take you two to three weeks, and it'll be very depressing. Second stage. When you get this list built, the next thing you're going to do is rank it from easiest to forgive 
to the most difficult to forgive. Because we want to facilitate forgiveness. So we put the easiest things first. Okay? And uh, it's very interesting when they do that. Third, you're going to write it. You know, lots of people clump things together and uh, try to put it in a big basket or pot all at once. It won't work that way. You know, First John 1, 9, Jesus said, confess your sins. It's not because Jesus needed to know. He wants us to admit it. Mm. So that's what confession's all about. Mm. We yeah. need to recognize it. So we do a very simple, clinical, rather sterile forgiveness letter mm. made up of three statements. I was wrong when I did. Let's just say I fantasized about this person. Second sentence. I know this must have made you feel blank, blank, blank. And you put in feeling words. That's where you step into the other person's shoes. That's where you can begin to say to yourself, he gets it. He, he gets what he did to me. Okay? Mm -hmm. And the third request is, will you forgive me? Now, the spouse gets three choices. Yes, no, and not now. Yeah. So it's very interesting. You know, it isn't yes, no. It's maybe I'm not now. Maybe I just can't right now, but I want to. Yeah. I'm working on it. Don't be too harsh on me. I just can't do it yet. Mm. So, so those reading uh, letters take, oh, anywhere from uh, one to three hours. I don't listen to those. That's confidential information as far as I'm concerned between mm -hmm. the husband, the wife, and God. Yeah. yeah. Nice. That's so practical. Thank you. I love it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's got to be tough, you too. You might love it. <laughs> I know, I know what you mean. Well, you, I, uh, you know that. what I mean. It's just giving people sure. a framework and a hope um, for their struggles they're mm -hmm. in. That's why I'm excited about it. Not, yeah. that, uh, not the d destruction uh, that they're going to have to walk through, but that there is yeah. hope. People, there's there hope out hope. there. Yes, there is hope. And, uh, he is our hope. you know, my colleagues, professionals, they're not Christians, a lot of them. And uh, we have some intense discussions about forgiveness, but... We all pretty much believe that this is the process. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. It, it, it is the process. Mm. So. Mm. It is such important, powerful work. Can you talk before we leave about recreating exciting moments mm -hmm. in a way that builds, you know, that foundation in our marriage that bonds us together to our spouse that, you know, really makes us remember why we want to be married? Well, I think the eight great exercise I gave you earlier is a very good one. Yeah. Very simple, mm -hmm. straightforward, very helpful. Yep, definitely. The second one I use comes out of research. Uh, a husband-wife uh, behavior modification specialist came up with this uh, years ago, spent their entire lives on uh, researching it across genders, ages, cultures. I mean, they did the research, pre, post, six-month follow-up. I mean, everything. So I've added a prayer component to it because I feel like couples do need to learn to pray together. So here it is. Uh, you get yourself a little notebook, the kind with the wire spiral across the top. You know, you see yeah. those kind yeah. of little Yeah. Each one of you gets one. Every day you're going to write a new item on that top of that page that you like about your spouse. Something you like. Mm. Maybe he takes regular showers. I mean, we're not talking extravagant stuff here, okay? Uh, she's a good mom, or she cooks great ch uh, chicken alfredo, okay? And you just put that in the top of the page, and then you're going to write three reasons why that's important to you. Very simple statement, okay, why, why that means so much to you. And then at night, every night before you go to bed, or at the kitchen table, or by yourselves in the family room or whatever, 
you are going to out loud thank God for this quality in your spouse. And you say, dear God, I want to thank you that my wife is such a great cook. And when I smell that, my, my whole just makes me smile on the inside. And I know she's fixing that because I like it and shows she cares for me. And uh, I can't wait to eat it. Amen. Okay? So first time my wife and I did this, I did the smile thing. My wife has a great smile. I did 30 others too, but this one. So I said, I like seeing your smile when I come home at night. Two, I like seeing your smile across the crowded room when our eyes meet. And third, I like seeing you smile at me after we've had a big disagreement. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Okay. Now, you get 30 different ones. You cannot work ahead. You start every day for 30 days looking for something you like about your spouse. And it has a huge change in your attitude. Most people get married because they like that person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, living together can destroy that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it can. And that's right. It can. You know, you start yeah. getting little nitpicky things. You're just like, oh, yeah. just, I'm so sick of this. He's got to stop doing this. I just put the toilet seat down. Can you please put the toilet seat down? I can't believe you don't put the toilet seat down. You know, that kind of a thing. Yeah. This yeah. kind of resets that balance again. It does. And people love this exercise. Yeah. So, you. And you do it in front of each other out loud. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I tell some couples that are very concerned about praying out loud, do it in the dark. <laughs> no, I oh, yeah. <laughs> You don't have to look at each other. Right. Just lay flat on your back, uh, looking up at the ceiling in the dark, and doing this. Sure. It, it's amazing what happens. That's fantastic. Oh, my goodness. We're out of time for today, Dave. Thank you so much. This, You know what? This book, it's an important book. It really is. If there are couples out there that want to take it to the next level and say, we're going to protect our marriage and we're going to strengthen it and build it so this doesn't happen, we can be an example to those around us, this is the book for you. We really appreciate it. Thanks. Look forward to it, and, and it was everything I thought it would be. Uh, so that's great. I Thanks, appreciate Dave. it. Thank you, Rebels. Thank you so much for listening. Listen, affairs and infidelity is just rampant. It is rampant. It destroys marriages, but it doesn't have to. You can safeguard your marriage against it. This is a great resource. We're giving you great resources here. This book, Anatomy of an Affair, is a great resource. If you have struggled with an affair in your marriage. His book, Torn Asunder, can also help. If you need help in this area or in any other area, email me anytime you want, help at rebelparenting.org. That goes straight to my computer. Nobody else gets that but me, Ryan Dobson, help at rebelparenting.org. I would love to hear from you. Also, Rebel Live every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, facebook.com slash Dobson. All the things I'm learning and how I'm applying it to the lives in my life of marriage and parenting. We are having so much fun. I love you all. God bless. We will see you next week.